And we know, we know that all things work together for good to, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I initially made the point in that lesson that if anybody looking back on their life, if there was one biblical character that was looking back on their life, they could certainly see the truth of that statement repeatedly reflected in the circumstances that they experienced. Would have been Joseph. Without question, Joseph would have been one of them, time and again. Amongst the several other characters that we alluded to, at least some of their words, we went on to notice that same blessed and beautiful truth reflected in the words of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, wherein he wrote, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. We quoted some other passages from other biblical characters as well along these same lines, but this morning I want to kind of extend our examination as well as our application of Romans 8.28 with an even deeper look into the ever-present evidence of Romans 8.28 in the life of Jeremiah, not just Jeremiah 29:11, but in the very life of Jeremiah himself. That's why the article in the bulletin was what it was. If it looked a little familiar to you, uh, you have seen it before several months ago when I was sending out those daily uh, devotionals, but it fits so well with this morning's sermon. So if perchance you haven't read the bulletin, uh, please do that as it talks about God's providence and working all things out together for good in the life of Jeremiah. You know, as with Joseph, as, as we begin to talk this morning about Jeremiah and some of the similarities, as with Joseph, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah at a very early age in his life. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Just like with Joseph, Jeremiah also told those with whom he was familiar the truth that the Lord had revealed to him, and due to the anger and persecution of those people, just like with Joseph, with his family, due to the anger and persecution of those in Jeremiah's own hometown, as well as his own family, he too was forced to flee. We would note this from Jeremiah 11, verses 18 through 23, or to leave his homeland behind, I should say. We would note this from Jeremiah 11, 18 through 23 when it came to the townspeople. We would also notice it from Jeremiah 12 and verse 6, wherein it says, For even your brothers, the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. Yes, they have called a multitude after you. So again, very similar to the life of Joseph. Not life of Jophus, but life of Joseph, I can say that. Any in-depth study of the life of Jeremiah would reveal that just like Joseph and like Jesus, 
Jeremiah himself was a man who saw affliction. It says that in Lamentations 3 and verse 1. He was a man who saw affliction. That's a phrase very similar to the phrase used prophetically of Jesus in Isaiah 53.3 when it says he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. He was very well acquainted with grief. And yet through all the peril, through all the problems, through all the affliction, through all the isolation, through all the persecution that he went through. As you read the story of his life, you also see the presence and the power and the providence as well as the protection of God right there with him as well through all of those dark times, through all of those situations. God throughout his story is taking care of Jeremiah. He's providing for him. He's causing all things to work together for good to Jeremiah because Jeremiah was called according to his purpose. And here's the key that we're kind of going to look at this morning. Jeremiah was called according to his purpose. Jeremiah, who hence chose to answer the call with faithful, loving obedience, no matter what. In Jeremiah 26, I know I told you 36, and I'm actually going to read later on from 36-7 up in that area, but in Jeremiah 26, God sends Jeremiah to his people to proclaim to them that if they did not repent and return to God in humble obedience, he's, God is going to destroy them, verses 1 through 7 of Jeremiah 26. They get so angry, so angry that all the people seized Jeremiah, and they sought to kill him in order to silence him, verses 8 through 11 of chapter 26. So what Jeremiah do under those circumstances? Here you go, and you go to these people, you tell them what God told you to tell them. They get so angry that they're trying to kill you because you told them the truth of God. And so when they, when they seize you, what do you do? Here's the key. Here you are. What do you do? Well, Jeremiah is faithful. So what does Jeremiah do? He faithfully reemphasizes the message he'd just given them, even at the risk of his own life, verses 12 through 15. He's in custody. They can do what they want with him. And even then, he does not backtrack. He does not back down. He stands up for God. And listen, verse 24 we see that God delivered Jeremiah by, quote, the hand of Aachim, so that they should not give him into the hand of the people to put him to death. Did God get his message to those people? Yep. Did their designs on Jeremiah work? Nope. Did God take care of him? Yep. God caused all things to work together for good. Not only did his message get to the people, but the people's plans were thwarted, and Jeremiah was rescued. And now in Jeremiah 36, passage, a text that we are actually going to read some of the verses of, in Jeremiah 36, the Lord has got a very similar message for Jehoiakim, the king of Judah. And he sends it to Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, through Jeremiah and Baruch. The king was so upset, the king was so livid when he got this message that he shredded it. And then he burned it. He wanted to make doubly sure. And then he sent men 
to seize Jeremiah and Baruch? How dare they prophesy the things that they did? You know what it says in verse 26? But the Lord hid them. Once again, you see God's providence right there for them. That's in verse 26 of Jeremiah 36. Now look at the next few verses, verse 27 of Jeremiah 36. Now after the king had burned the scroll with the words which Baruch had written at the instruction of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, take yet another scroll, write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, has burned. And you shall say to Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, thus says the Lord, you have burned this scroll, saying, Why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and cause man and beast to cease from here? God knew what he'd done. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, He shall have no one to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat of the day and the frost of the night. I will punish him his family and his servants for their iniquity, and I will bring on them, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem and on the men of Judah, all the doom that I have pronounced against them. But they did not heed. Are you getting this? Yes, I, I realize that's a terrible message of peril for the king, but, but listen. Jeremiah has given the words to Baruch, who's written them down, and they've already taken this to the king once, and the king's cut it up with a knife, shredded it, burned it. And he's, he's seeking to find them, probably to put them to death. And so what does God tell Jeremiah to do? He says, hey, do it again. Do it again. What do you do with that? I mean, I mean, we don't have to be here in, in fear of, you know, people coming in and killing us for our faith today, that sort of thing, but, but what do you do with that? You're in hiding because you know if this king gets you, it's over. What do you do with it? Verse 32, then Jeremiah took another scroll, gave it to Baruch, the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote on it at the instruction of Jeho Jer I can say this, Jeremiah, all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and besides, there were added to them many similar words. He wrote in the same message and made it stronger, turned it up, and, and put more details in it. Wow. Jeremiah was a lot like Joseph, wasn't he? Jeremiah was going to do what God said no matter the circumstances, just like Joseph. We know the Lord was with Joseph. But there's a line here that I want for us to realize too. And I'm gonna say it twice. We know what Romans 8:28 says about being called according to his purpose. But a vital part of being called according to his purpose is being willing to carry out his purpose whenever you are called upon to do so. Think about that. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. A vital part of being called according to his purpose, because we want all things to work out for good, a vital part of being called according to his purpose is being willing to carry out his purpose whenever we are called upon to do so.
That's what it means to love God. Jesus made it simpler than that, right? He said, if you love me, you'll what? Obey my commandments. Same thing. And Jeremiah is doing that. In Jeremiah 37, verses 11 and following, Jeremiah, just like Joseph, gets falsely accused of a crime and put in prison. Boy, do you ever realize Jeremiah and Joseph, I mean, their stories are very, very similar in a lot of ways. But verses 16 and 17 of Jeremiah 37 tell us that when Jeremiah entered the dungeon in the cells and Jeremiah had remained there many days, then Zedekiah the king sent and took him out. The king asked him secretly in his house and said, is there any word from the Lord? And Jeremiah said, there is. <laughs> now, he's been in prison many days. King calls him out and says, hey, is there any word from God? Now, wouldn't you be tempted? I, I don't know if Jeremiah was tempted or not. It doesn't tell us, but Jeremiah was human. Wouldn't you be tempted at that point, at least tempted, to kind of soften, soften it a little, maybe? Satan tried to get you to maybe soften up the message. Jeremiah doesn't soften up the message. When he's asked if there's a message from God, Jeremiah said there is, and he said, you shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. told the king he, there was no compromise. When he was called to carry out God's purpose, he did. He loved God enough to do it his way. And once again, we see Jeremiah's faithfulness rewarded with God's power and purpose and protection. Look in verses 18 through 21 of Jeremiah 37. Right after in verse 17, Jeremiah says, you'll be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. That's God's word, it hasn't changed. Verse 18, moreover, Jeremiah said to King Zedekiah, what offense have I committed against you, against your servants, or against this people that you put me in prison? Where now are your prophets who prophesied to you saying the king of Babylon will not come against you or against this land? Therefore, please hear now, O oh, my lord the king, please let my petition be accepted before you, and do not make me return to the house of Jonathan the scribe, lest I die there. And Zedekiah the king commanded that they should commit Jeremiah to the court of the prison, and that they should give him daily a piece of bread from the baker street until all the bread in the city was gone. Thus Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Did God take care of him? Yep. God took care of him. Didn't matter what the king designed for him. Didn't matter what the people wanted for him. God continued to cause things to work out good for Jeremiah who was called according to his purpose because when Jeremiah was called to do God's will, he carried out God's purpose. Chapter 38, finds himself thrown into a pit. Does that sound familiar? Your version may use dungeon, that's fine. Just like Joseph, finds himself in a pit. Isolated, alone, and facing the very real prospect of his own death in Jeremiah 38, verses 4 through 9. And he's there for basically the same reason Joseph was in a pit, for telling the truth that God had given him to tell people. But once again, God provided protection and escape from the certain death that surely would have followed through this Ethiopian eunuch. No, the New Testament in Acts 8 is not the only place we see an Ethiopian eunuch who is 
given to God, as it were. We see an Ethiopian eunuch of the king's court named Ebed-Melech who comes to Jeremiah's rescue when Jeremiah is in the pit. Verses 7 through 13 of chapter 38 describes the eunuch's faith in chapter 39, verses 15 through 18. And even when, even when, this, this king comes against Jerusalem, when the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, comes against Jerusalem, breaks down its walls, besieges it, and burns most of the city, and even when he puts the nobles and the princes to death, as he does, verses 1 through 8 of chapter 39, look at how Jeremiah experienced the power, the presence, and the protection of God. Even when this evil king destroys the city, lays it waste, puts the princes to death, puts the nobles to death, God still takes care of Jeremiah. Look in chapter 39, verse 11 through 14. Now Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave charge concerning Jeremiah to Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, saying, Take him and look after him, but do him no harm. The, the verses just before this talk about, look at verse 6, how he killed the sons of Zedekiah, and, and how he did all of these terrible things, and he put the nobles to death, and he burned the, the walls and the, the houses with fire. But he says of Jeremiah, Take him and look after him, verse 12. Do not do him any harm, but do to him just as he says to you. Wow. So Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, sent Nebuchadnezzar, Rabaris, Nergal, Sherezer, Rabmag, and all the king's Babylon, or Babylon's chief officers. Then they sent someone to take Jeremiah from the court of the prison, committed him to, Jude to Judalia, the son of Aachim, the son of Shapham, that he should take him home so he dwelt among the people. What an incredible God we serve. What an incredible God that will reward faithfulness every time, that will cause all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose, to those who will respond to his calling by doing what he calls upon them to do and fulfill his purposes. You see, God's causing all things to work together for good, including even the worst of things in the lives of such great men as Joseph and Jeremiah and, and Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul and others, didn't just happen. You've got to understand this. It didn't just happen. It didn't happen by luck. Didn't happen by chance. Didn't happen by coincidence. Why did it happen? It happened as a result of these men, these great servants of God, loving God enough that they are willfully then ready to choose to submit themselves and their lives to his purposes. And it is those people that God causes all things to work together for good in. Those people who will put his designs and his purposes and his instructions 
wherever they are, whatever occurs to them, no matter what, first, they love God. They're called according to his purpose. You know, that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was totally committed to his Father's will. And I realize, and don't, don't get me wrong here, don't say, well, that, does that mean if I, if I just do the right thing all the time, my life's going to be perfect? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not the smiling guy on Sunday mornings, the denominational preacher that tells you that, you know, there's no such thing as sin and all you got to do is be happy and everything will be fine. No. We look in Jeremiah's life. We look in Joseph's life. We look in Jesus' life. We look in Paul's life. We look in the apostles' lives. Everything wasn't always wonderful. They went through some very, very difficult times. But the beauty was, was that God caused all things to work together for good in their lives, despite their struggles. Those who are called according to his purpose are willing to carry out his purpose whenever they're called upon to do so. That was Jesus. In Luke 4, 43, Jesus said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. Jesus knew what he was facing, but he said, there's a purpose to my life. My purpose is to do God's will. Jesus said in John 12, in verse 27, How, Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Jesus knew what was waiting him when he went to the cross. John 18, in verse 4, tells us that he knew all things that were going to happen to him. He told his disciples on multiple occasions. Even way back in Psalm 22, the very words he'd speak on the cross are right there in Psalm 22, hundreds of years prior to Jesus' birth. He knew. But in John 12, 27, again, he says, now my soul is troubled. What will I say? Save me from this hour? No. He said, this is the purpose I'm here for. I know there's going to be a terrible, terrible time here, but my purpose, I'm called according to God's purpose. I'm going to carry out God's purpose in my life, and God will take care of the rest. No matter what, God will take care of the rest. Where's Jesus now? Is he in heaven at the right hand of God interceding for us? Hebrews 7.25, yeah, he is. Suppose he's happy to be home? You want to go there? He paved the way. In all things, I need to be committed to carrying out God's purpose when I'm called to do so. And if I'm called according to his purpose in Christ Jesus, and I'm willing to do that, all things can work together and will work together for good. In Acts 2, verse 23, Peter said of Jesus, him being delivered by the predetermined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you've taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death. You see, there's something I don't think that we, we always understand or, 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 or take with us. And I really want you to think about this. Did you know that God has a very specific plan and purpose for everybody? Did you know that? I want you to think about that. I'm going to prove it, but I want you to think about it. God, just like with his own son Jesus, has a very specific plan or purpose for every human being, including you and me. He has a plan. He had that plan prior to your even coming into this world and being born. Did you know that? From the very moment of your conception, God had a plan. He had things that, that you were supposed to do. 
Why would I say such a thing? Well, let's take a look at the scriptures and you'll know why I would say it. We've been talking about Jeremiah this morning. Jeremiah certainly knew. Jeremiah not only knew, but Jeremiah understood that God had a very specific purpose for him before he was even born. In fact, Jeremiah opens up his book with that. Go back to Jeremiah 1. Before all of those things that happened in Jeremiah's life, before he details the events of those, he, he says something that we often read right over, and that's the fact that he said, God had a plan for me from before even I was here. Verse 4, chapter 1, foundational building block for the book of Jeremiah. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, our Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, don't say I'm a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Now we could look at that one instance of where Jeremiah says, God had a plan and a purpose for me in place before I ever got here. And we can say, well, that's Jeremiah. That's, that's just, you know, one of the prophets, kind of Old Testament. You know, we don't really, you know, yes, it's true, but are you sure that that applies to more than just him? Yes, I am. The Apostle Paul also knew that God had a plan and a purpose before he came into this world. Paul wrote about it in Romans 9, 10 through 12 regarding Jacob and Esau, as well as writing about it in regards to himself and his own life in Galatians 1, 13 through 17. Please turn there, Galatians 1, 13 through 17. Look what Paul says. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now, I want us to understand, we don't know, God has a plan for us, and we'll, we'll look at some other scripture here in a minute. God has a plan and a purpose. We were created, Isaiah tells us, to glorify God. God had a plan and a purpose, but we don't always follow the plan. Understand that. We don't always follow the plan. We don't always obey God's instructions. We see that in evidence right here. When Paul writes this in Galatians 1, verses 13 and 14, he tells about his former life before he started listening to God and his plan God had for him from before he was born. He talks about how his former life, notice, his former conduct, how he tried to destroy the church. That wasn't God's will. God didn't want his church destroyed. Paul was operating 
the way he wanted to operate. And he says, I was advanced in Judaism and, and, and goes on about these traditions of his father. But he says, when it pleased God who separated from me from my mother's womb, he said, God had this plan for me and I didn't get on track with it until this point. This plan he'd had in mind for me since the beginning. Now, that doesn't mean that while he was conducting his life the way he thought was right, that God wasn't teaching him through all that. God taught Moses in the wilderness. Moses is out feeding sheep. He's killed an Egyptian. He's, he's out here feeding sheep. What did that teach Moses? Well, I taught Moses how to find water and food out in the middle of nowhere so that he could help with God's people. It taught him the ways of, of the wilderness, as it were. Well, while Paul was, was being raised for the traditions of his fathers, he was learning a lot of, does Paul quote a lot of Old Testament and the New Testament? Did he know how the Old Testament worked? He sure did. He was brought up under Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers of their day in Judaism. So God was still teaching him and grooming him, but, but God's plan for his life wasn't that he kill people. God's plan for his life was that he become a gospel preacher and do things God's way. And he said, that was God's purpose for me since the beginning. David, the man after God's own heart. David understood the same thing. David understood that there was a plan in place for him before he was born. Turn to me to Psalm 139. These, these great, great servants of God understood that God had this plan in place for them these things, this purpose for their life. Psalm 139, beginning at verse 13. One thirty-nine, thirteen. look what David says. For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, let me ask you right outright. Does that apply to all of us as well? Sure does. Process is the same by which we were created as it was by which David was created. The process has not changed. So this shows us that it applies to everybody because we're all created this way. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. He says God understood and saw my unformed substance even. And in your book they all were written the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. From the very beginning, God has a purpose. Now, now we don't always follow it. David didn't always follow it, did he? The whole Bathsheba thing? That, that was not God's plan. God had said, don't commit adultery, don't kill. What does David do? Commits adultery, has the husband killed. That wasn't God's plan. God told him not to do that. Sometimes we get off track with God's plan. Sometimes we don't listen to God. Sometimes we do things in our weakness, in our frailty, in our humanity that God 
It's not his will, it's not his plan, it's not his purpose, that's not what he wants us to do. And sometimes we have to be brought back on track. Paul had to be, didn't he? David had to be, didn't he? Sure he did, both of them. As we consider this idea that God had a plan and purpose in place for each one of us before we were born, I'm gonna go totally off my notes here and just ask you this. What a, what a profound concept that is. Let me ask you a question. Do you think it would make a difference in the lives of the young people of this world as a whole in the suicide rate, prevention rate, do you suppose it make a difference if every one of our young people understood that they are here for a purpose, they are here for a reason, they are here to carry out something for God, that their lives are not meaningless, that they are, they, it's not a case of them not being wanted, it's not a case of their being here by accident with no purpose, and these people go and they say, well, I'm, I'm just, I, I gotta find myself and I, I need to know my purpose. Your purpose is to glorify God. Your purpose is to do what God said to do so that he can work all things together for good in your life. That's your purpose. I don't have to go very far to find Doug Dingley. My purpose the purpose that I was created for was to glorify God, period. To do as he says wherever I am so that he can work all things together for good in my life because I am called according to his purpose. Think about that. How much difference will it make in our lives if we understood that? Really think about it. Even Mordecai, the uncle of Queen Esther, seemed to know and seemed to understand this biblical truth that God has a divine plan and a divine purpose for each and every one of us. But that God will only work it all out for our good when we are called and subsequently answer that call according to his purpose. When we answer that call by being willing to fulfill his purpose and submit to him and do what he said. This is hinted at in Mordecai's words to Esther, this very idea that there was a plan here. Remember, probably some of the most famous words from the book of Esther, certainly amongst the most famous words from the book of Esther king's getting ready to wipe out the Jews. The edict has been issued. And Mordecai goes to her. And Esther appears to be sitting on the fence as to whether or not she's going to do what God demanded and fulfill God's purpose for her and for his people. She appears to be kind of hesitant. Remember what Mordecai said to her? Esther 4 and verse 14. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. What's Mordecai saying? Esther, the whole reason that you're here, the whole purpose for your being here, right here, right now, 
God, God had a purpose. Could this possibly be it? Who knows whether or not you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. In summation of this morning's lesson, not in conclusion necessarily, but in summation, there are two points of incredible importance that I want for you to take with you. Number one, it is absolutely critical in these very trying and uncertain times in which we are living, that we always keep in the forefront of our minds that God himself had a plan and a purpose for each one of us from the moment we were conceived. Get this if you don't get anything else from this entire sermon, get this. You are not here in this time and in this place under these circumstances in which we are living today by chance, by accident, by mistake, or error. No matter how discouraging or even deadly in some cases they might seem to appear on the surface in our lives. We spoke of the Apostle Paul earlier. And, and I want you to see this point I just made from his life. The Apostle Paul knew a thing or two about deadly peril, did he not? The Apostle Paul knew a thing or two about being isolated in a jail cell, did he not? The Apostle Paul knew about struggles. When the prophet told him, you know, there's only, uh, you're going to be chained in the next city, and Paul said, I know that, that all of these terrible things are waiting me city to city, but that doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that I finish the course and I preach the gospel. Paul knew. But you want to talk about a man that understood that it was God in control of all things and not the Roman Empire, not the Roman government. Have you ever considered, and I, I ran across this years ago, and I absolutely, I love this, okay? I absolutely love this because it talks to me in my own life. Do you know that Paul, when he wrote these letters and said he was a prisoner, do you remember who he said he was a prisoner of? Do you remember? He didn't say, I, Paul, the prisoner of the Romans. He didn't say, I, Paul, the prisoner of Nero. He didn't say, I, Paul, a prisoner of circumstances. What did he always say? Let me, let me tell you what he said. Let me give you one, two, three, four, five, six. I can count. Not all on one hand, six, but I can count. Listen to this. Ephesians 3, 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. 2 Timothy 1.8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. And 3, 
verses from the book of Philemon. Verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. Verse 9, Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. What's the point of that? The point of that is this. Paul knew that it was not the Romans, it was not the emperor, it was not the circumstances that were the reason he was where he was, even though where he was was not pleasant. Paul understood that. Did Jesus lock him up? No, not personally. But did Paul understand that if Jesus wanted him to be elsewhere that he would be? Yeah, he said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Six times he said that. Why? Because he understood that he was where he was as a part of God's plan, even if he didn't understand all the details. And if God didn't want him there, he'd be somewhere else. Are you with me? He said, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. Not the captain with the keys, not the emperor, not the empire. No, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm living according to God's will, and God's got the rest. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Did Paul ever do any good in his life? Did Paul ever do any good in his life? This means yes, this means we, we have this discussion on a, a fairly regular basis, don't we? Where would we be today without the books of Paul in our Bible? Where would we be? How much encouragement would we lack? How much fellowship, how much love, how much providence of God would we lack if we did not have Romans and Corinthians and the, how much? Well, in order for him to write those, he had to be somewhere where he had some time. He had a lot of time in prison, didn't he? He might not have seen all the good. He might not have known that 2,000 years later, we're going to be preaching from the very words he wrote. He didn't have to know. But he did know this. He knew that it was Jesus Christ who had the ultimate power over whether he was in prison or somewhere else. He understood God had a plan for his life. He wrote in Galatians 1, God set me apart from my mother's womb. He understood that. And so even in the worst of circumstances, Paul could say, you know what? I'm just going to follow the Lord. I'm going to do what he wants. I'm going to live according to his purpose. And Paul did, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. He lived according to God's purpose. And as he lived according to God's purpose, he understood being called according to God's purpose, called through the gospel, as he wrote in Thessalonians, that as long as he did that, all things were going to work together for his good. Even if he was in prison, even in the darkest of circumstances. Your life, your life, your life, thank God, has a purpose. Your life, has a meaning, your life has a mission. And it is of such infinitely important importance to Almighty God that he will be as absolutely and intricately involved in your life as you will let him be. Well, how do you let him be? By carrying out his purpose. What does that mean? I don't know what God's purpose, God's purpose is 
that you're being transformed daily into the image of Jesus Christ and you live it for him. He'll take care of the details. We must never lose sight of that fact. We must live each and every day with that in mind. That is Bible, that is truth, that is fact as we've seen. Point number two, point number two. We know God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We have seen this over and over in the lives of these great servants of God. But as we've now learned this morning, that means if we want all of those things to work together for our good, we must be willing to answer God's call by living according to his plan and purpose for our lives, totally willing to yield to God in all things, no matter how dark the setting, deep the cisterns, or desperate the situation. That's how the great servants of God like Job and Joseph and Esther and Jeremiah and Jesus and Paul and so many others saw so much good in their lives. They lived out God's purpose. So in conclusion this morning, if you go forward out of here in just a few minutes, or from your homes, if you go out into our ever-changing and ever-challenging, ever more COVID-infested world, as you go out into that, do not ever give up, give out, or give in. When you see all of that darkness, when you, see, when you see these things, these terrible things going on around us, when you see this thing continue to spread, when you see some of the news stories that you see today, don't stop. One of the reasons that God allows us to go through these times, just like with all of these great men, is so that we will reflect Christ to a lost and dying world. That is our purpose. Did Jesus tell us to shine like lights? Did he? You tell us we were the salt of the earth? Lights shine the greatest and the most visibly when it is the darkest and most horrible behind them. Don't ever lose that. You are not here by accident. You are here with a purpose. God designed you to glorify him in all situations. Do not lose sight of the fact that no matter how frustrating or defeating it gets, if you want it all to work out for your good, and answer his call and live according to his purpose. Of course, as you all know, once you have sinned, you can only get back on track with his divine plan and purpose for your life by having that sin washed away. To humbly submit to his instructions, to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, Acts 2.38, to be washed of your sins, Acts 22 and verse 16. Because although God has a plan for our lives, for us to go out and commit sin is not part of his plan. He allows us free choice. And so once you sinned, you need that sin washed away so you can get back on track with his plan, so you can become his servant, so that you can become a part of his family devoted to good works, to letting your light shine and to reflecting Christ. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, then I urge you, don't be like the Pharisees and the scribes in Luke chapter 7 and verse 30. 
they refused the baptism of John and thereby rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. The will of God means that you get baptized, that you repent, that you turn to God, and that you're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Maybe you've done that. Maybe something I've said this morning has kind of caught you going, wow, I didn't realize that. We need the prayers of the church that God would help you to better understand. He has a purpose and a plan and a mission for you. If you want to see through the eyes of faith more God causing all things to happen in your life for your good, his plan, if you want to see that, you must love him enough to answer his call and to live according to his plan. If you need the prayers of the church that you would do more of that, we would love to pray for you if there is anything that you need this morning in order to get back on track or on track for the first time to live according to his call and purpose. The call of the gospel awaits you as we stand and sing this song.